0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hello and welcome to Wanna Be, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you wanna be in 30 minutes or less. I'm imrielle Morgan, founder of Content is Queen, a podcast agency and community for ambitious podcasters. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Wannabe's focus is to help you take consistent action to build a successful life and career in the creative and entertainment industries. I pulled together this season just before my baby girl arrived and changed my entire world. As always, I let my curiosity lead the way when curating these conversations. This season is no different. And while every guest is a parent, this isn't a parenting podcast. So, expect the same great practical steps to elevate your career. Before we get to my very special guest, here is a quick notice for any aspiring or current podcasters listening. If you're looking for a cosy and affordable professional studio space or for incredible resources, masterclasses and toolkits, head on over to contentisqueen.org to find out how you can level up your podcast with us today. Now, let's talk about my first guest. Where do I even begin with this babe? Candice Brathwaite is a Sunday Times bestselling author, journalist, TV presenter and the founder of Make Motherhood Diverse. Candice started her blogging career in 2016 and has turned her online presence into a very lucrative career. Her book, I Am Not Your Baby Mother, was a groundbreaking expose on the disparity black women face while pregnant in the UK healthcare system. Candice is known to keep it 100 with you, and she didn't disappoint in today's episode. Candice reveals the real reason she chose a career online as a blogger and influencer. She shares how she's able to write a book a year, which is wild, and you'll learn how she protects her energy and attracts so many lucrative opportunities all this and so 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 much more let's get into it who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why wow
0: uh i think oprah <laughs> that was the only example it probably was a tie between oprah and her name's gonna go from my mind now but there was a black female newsreader that used to read on itn before it became itv it was out of those two just because they were the most prominent female black figures Mm. on television and I knew in my gut that my life would steer me towards communication Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure on what level but I was like oh I could talk for England I used to love talking as a kid I used to love conducting fake interviews and I used to love writing so it was the intersection of maybe TV maybe journalism and so those were the two so more Oprah I would say
1: you know what Oprah is an inspiration to us all literally (laughs) There were so few black women on TV. Like, it is shocking. You've kept the communication thread alive, and that's pretty noble. How has that been? Has that been an easy journey for you?
0: Oh, it's been a very difficult journey, just because, again... Even though so much of the communication should have nothing to do with what I look like, what I look like just provides extra barriers that can be very, very exhausting. And in my early days of blogging and being online, it became really painful to see every white mum influencer who cannot write for anything be thrown these book deals like i'm always so frank about no i'm like some of them can barely string together the abc and they were just getting book deals left right and center because they presented as this sort of person and i by the time i am not your baby mother got picked up i was one week away from signing with unbound oh yeah who then i would have had to raise money to get that book out there because my proposals had been turned down about nine times the pushback was always you're a great writer but your social media followings too small because it's a business that want to make money i think for them the quick grab is to sign someone who has two million followers they know they're going to get this amount of sales just based on data and bob's your uncle but that means we're missing out on really great storytelling
1: yeah no i i completely applaud you for one persevering getting the books out and now being on to book number three which is not an easy thing to do i can't imagine can you walk us through your writing process how are you also finding the time to balance family children writing and then maintaining this online presence which looks like it gives you a lot of joy
0: yeah it does it just gets done and i just feel like no role is separate from the other i get so much inspiration especially now i'm moving into fiction from being online especially on tiktok because i'm doing ya Mm -hmm. i'm able to like really be in a 16 year old black girl's brain on tiktok i'm not The kind of writer who's like, I write every day from nine till three and I need to light this certain candle. Now, (laughs) I'm going to use the phrase, it's not that deep just because I'm lazy. I understand there are people that have to write in that regimented way. And I would say the lucky thing for me is writing isn't my only job. And there's a luck in that. There are some people where it's solely what they write that keeps the roof over their head. And so there has to be this absolute military dedication because it's like going to an office job. Yeah. The reality is sometimes I'm writing, but sometimes I'm shooting sponsored content, but sometimes I'm on TV, but sometimes I am telling a brand how they cannot be racist. Like there are all these other prongs going on. So literally sometimes writing happens between 1 and 4 a.m., And then I get some sleep and then motherhood starts in the morning. That's how it goes. And I've come to accept that's the kind of writer I am. My publishers have come to accept that's the kind of
1: writer I am. (laughs) There's so many threads I want to pull on, but I can imagine that it is truly exhausting because it is your own life. You have documented the experience of so many women, black women in particular, and it was UK specific. And I think that's what was so groundbreaking about it in so many ways is like, Actually, we've been like this very silent minority, unfortunately, for such a long time here. And we've been gaslit in the medical system. This is even before I had pregnancy on my mind. I already felt gaslit in the medical system. And then you add like childbirth from that. And now I've had like complications with my pregnancy with fibroids and things. I feel actually, because I had read your book, I went into this system and into this process so prepared i'm like okay i know to expect that you're not going to believe me i know to expect Mm -hmm. these things you're going to tell me not to worry about that and it's going to be a problem later i think that's what's so important and so essential about i'm not your baby mother sister sister i loved (laughs) simply because i didn't realize how close we live to each other so (laughs) because i think you went to like norwood girls (laughs) is it norwood girls yes I went yes. to Westwood where you were like talking about like hanging out with your friends and Crown Point. I was just like, No, this is actually my life. <laughs> this is like actually my life. Like the gypset boys on the bus.
0: Yes! <laughs> like-
1: I was like no we're actually living like these parallel lives this is so wild and so like I, I found that like a complete joy I think it would be good to know how you deal with the reception to these books right because you've written them specifically for black audiences how have you received the feedback and the reception to both of the books so far what's it done for you the feedback and the reception?
0: oh so this is really interesting I don't read reviews good or bad unless I'm met with like a specific dm that my eyes can't unsee I don't go looking for reviews I'm not tied to the work if someone said I absolutely hate I'm not your baby mother a tear wouldn't come down from my eye I'm really (laughs) not wed to my words and that's something that my editor pointed out she was like girl working with you is a breeze because you're like yeah cut it cut it I'm just (laughs) like Get the story across in the word count and leave me alone. I know whoever it's going to serve, it will serve. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like, for me, the books I write are like children. I'm like a surrogate. I'm a surrogate. Okay. I'm holding this baby. We're doing the work. The work coming out is me giving birth. After that, I've signed an NDA. I don't know where the child is. I don't know what's going (laughs) on. And because I've prepared myself to be a surrogate, I don't want to find out either who that's meant to hit will hit and not everyone's going to like it. And these are lessons though that I learned before I became a published author. The internet taught me that. The internet taught me that the worst thing you can do is take on everyone's opinions and try and shape yourself and mould yourself. And I never wanted to be in a scenario where I'm writing for anyone but me. When I sit down to write, Candice is the number one audience and as long as I'm cackling or having a good time or learning a lesson through the pain I'm like we're golden yeah press print I'm not the kind of person that's like well what will that mean to that person and because guess what JK Rowling weren't thinking about no Candice from South London writing them books no, she was nor not. was Enid Blyton no one was <laughs> thinking of a girl like me. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm not going to sit here and obsess over the people who might not get it or can't connect, but I just don't fuss with reviews. I'm like me. And, and for me, this is very much my dad's spirit in me though. I'm like the check still cleared. I don't know what <laughs> to tell you. <ya." laughs>
1: That is fair enough. I know some people can be like so deeply affected by feedback and criticism naturally. But as you say, you've been on the internet, which is probably the next logical place to go is being online. I would love for you to kind of just like walk us through where you started from with the internet and like what your intentions were when you started and then how has that grown and evolved over time?
0: The intention was always to financially buy myself out of poverty. I never mince my words about that because I think we meet so many content creators who are like, oh, well, I was just having fun. No, 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 this was not a game to me. When I started to understand how valuable the internet was, I was working in publishing. I was working for Penguin Random House in their marketing department. And what I noticed is that all our ad spend was being taken from magazines and billboards and being given to, they were then called bloggers and I knew this because I spent four hours a day on the phone to these bloggers being like how much would we have to pay you for you to put this on your blog and how many clicks do you get and in my going through the excel spreadsheet sometimes I'd call maybe 60 bloggers a day and not one of them would be of any color not just oh, not wow. black just 60 white girls I'd listen to the mind numbing price they were telling me to just feature this book on their blog. And then my business mind was like, right, the gap in the market is massive massive because I wouldn't click on none of you lots blogs there's nothing in common here I wouldn't really be interested and I started to like especially look at the Instagram space and there is nothing specifically within the motherhood field Esme back then was like 18 months old so motherhood was still really fresh on my mind and I was like okay if this is how I'm gonna crack the nut that's the route to entry if Candice who was so big and bold in 2014 knew the horrific racism that was waiting for her on the other side of this entry I'd still be at that desk I couldn't imagine that there would be battles that I could see myself through you know that level of hate or that level of trolling I that's not something I would wish on myself thankfully we don't have a crystal ball and we roll the dice and we do the thing and I think it wasn't until I'm not your baby mother came out that I was like right now I'm truly done with just doing motherhood content because the reality is, I don't want to chill with these women no more. I don't like not one of you. You're all jarring. <laughs> 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 what? I want to do this.
1: I did not see this. This <laughs> just took a, a very sharp sudden turn. <laughs>
0: Like okay. honestly the cuz people might not know so I'm not your baby mother came out literally in pandemic point 0 so May 2020 and this was the week that George Floyd died so by now we've been locked down for like 2 3 months yeah and I'm having to understand what life means separate to these stupid dinners where you don't really like anyone and everyone just wants a photo and all of the internet hype and it really helped me understand I don't like you lot I don't like feeling like I need to sit down or educate certain white women when the reality is so many of you don't like me or you don't like my presence in this space and I made a promise to myself that as we were allowed back out I just wasn't going to play that game anymore my book was the only thing I wanted to achieve in that space and now that that was done I don't want to hear it. I'm just not involved. But those lessons were learnt over a long period of time and in a really painful way because I'm sure most people listening would know that I was racially trolled by a really popular mum blogger. She was the queen bee of mummy blogging at the time. I had my childminder call me and be like, "Why are you in the Sun newspaper? That was a nationwide story." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no. That secondhand embarrassment can't catch me twice. I just don't care. I will not frolic. I will not smile." And And I think I'm owed that level of safety and protection now. I'm like, I came into that game wanting to make room for black mothers who were perhaps working from home or wanted to utilise the internet to better the lives of their family. And I think I achieved that. And we're done in that space.
1: So how would you describe the current space?
0: The current space now is super fun. You know why? I'm not really in a clique no one could say oh Candice is a beauty blogger and you see me with these people I just pop up where I want to pop up also even though I'm maybe the same age as a lot of people using the internet I feel a lot older so that puts me in like this different column which I really enjoy because it means that I can say and this is very important for black women it means I can say no it means I can just be like I ain't doing that check my CV check the tears check the pain not going, not turning up, like I've really weathered the storm, it was so funny to see all of these companies doing black squares, black squares, when I could, if I really wanted to grab a podcast mic, I could fold at least 20 of them, because I'm like, the emails I have on you guys telling me to pull down certain content, if not you wouldn't work with me, because it was too black, you're actually off your rocker, so to be in a position now, where I get to call the shots, that's what the space looks like to me, it's outside of that, There are so many great black British female content creators. It's unreal. And I'm a massive content consumer. I'm always going to support and reshare and show up. But I've also learned to just mind my business.
1: (laughs) Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? something that i love about you is that you always look faboosh like you you do not come to mess around like with your clothes with your makeup like your haircuts today i'm in a
0: black tracksuit guys with no lipstick it's actually mad i look like a bank robber
1: (laughs) (laughs) i didn't say it Uh, (laughs) but (laughs) normally you do come you don't come to mess around with you being you know you've you've pulled yourself out of a position of as you described poverty and you know not having enough and actually it's in both of the books like how you've gone about doing that and if people haven't read it that's Mm. why i ask these questions i guess like with your wealth really like thriving and flourishing and the lifestyle you lead online do you think about the sustainability and the planet and like how that all comes about i feel like i'd be remiss by not asking that you know
0: do you know what no 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 you've you've asked a really good question and i'm not gonna lie it's still a struggle and this is i don't no let me just be honest the way i offset it is by now not investing my money into fast fashion the thing with that though is i always like do a little asterisk and say that's my privilege It's my privilege to now maybe go on Net-A-Porter and buy dresses and bags than be on H&M or ASOS every day. That's an absolute privilege, specifically as a black woman. And I always tell people, because I work in fashion or work with certain brands, and obviously, I advertise for them. I'm like, that doesn't mean that I'm telling you to spend all of this money to feel great or be this way. Because, check it, when I didn't have much, Zara was my high end. Another thing that I am, when I say I sing this from the rooftops, I love to rent pieces, you know? I love to rent and I love to loan. And I think, especially in the black community, there is such a stiff upper lip to renting and loaning. I've seen it online where I saw a TikTok where a young black girl was like, oh, I've rented this Gucci bag for the weekend. And the comments were awash with, "er, that's nasty. Like, if you can't afford it, just say that. And that grinds my gears. Because let me tell you, sometimes... I think I like this handbag, and then I loan it from a platform, and I'm like, oh, I'm over you already. So I would much rather now spend £20 a month loaning pieces and sending them back so someone else can use them and love them, and we're not polluting the planet. So it's on me to constantly recognize what my triggers are in terms of spending. And it's hard. I'm a contributing editor for Grazia Magazine. Like, this is the parallel universe that I occupy. On one hand, I'm like, uh, be careful of triggers, but I write for a magazine that I'll always showing you the latest things so I'm like I have to be conscious of why I'm pressing spend or buy on something but it yeah it's a tough conversation to have especially when a I enjoy clothes <laughs> and B just being online whether you're the content creator but just being online makes you a hyper consumer because everything now is click to buy
1: it is important for me thankfully I, I was able to examine my buying habits and I'm like this is because Buying makes me feel in control because I have the money because I've never had money or I didn't have money before. Right. For a long time, black women were doing fashion shots, creating trends, setting trends, being completely excluded from brand deals, not Mm -hmm. getting those opportunities. And now all the white influencers are like, no, who were doing all of the pretty little deals, the she the everything they are like oh sustainability we don't do fast fashion anymore because they've now made their millions and they've made their money and now it's like shifted where the deals are going to blacker places and now it's like oh let's demonize fast fashion but the faces Mm -hmm. are black now
0: and it's only because black women now have access to certain things that now it's too much it was even an internalized problem for me i follow this really great black luxury content creator she posted up what felt like her 100th chanel bag i clocked myself in my mind going girl where are you getting all of this money? Like this is excessive. And in that moment, I had to do a self-assessment because I was like, you've just swiped past five white luxury content creators. Not once did you question where their money was coming from, not once. And I made that a public conversation, which then turned into a bigger conversation in the luxury space. And it was really good to have because without knowing it, we can be our own worst enemies. And the reality is so many of us, whether you're working with net a or H&M, we just got here. We just got here. I'm not about to start putting the pressures that I should put on the white women that have been working with these brands for over a decade. And like you say, now have mansions and holiday homes. I'm not about to put the pressures we should be putting on them, on the people that so many of them are still on universal credit and they're trying to hustle and they're trying to make it work. It's just about finding the balance and also taking so much of that blame and putting it on the Mm brands. Where are your sustainable options? Why do you have a collection every week? Like these are the questions we need to be asking.
1: That is very true because I don't understand why we need to be changing trends so frequently. It's just not necessary. Every
0: week. Like...
1: Are we just getting old? Are we just old? (laughs) Do you know what? I said that the other day.
0: I was like, I must just be old, you know, because this is mad. And not only just old, I'm also very comfortable in my personal style. I don't need Y2K to come back. I hated it the first time. (laughs) And I know how I like to dress now.
1: I'd love to know what you're working on getting better at right now in your life.
0: I embarrassingly figured out that I spend more time fighting for stuff than just doing work. So I felt like 2021 was me knocking on not just doors that were locked, but had like wooden barricades on them. Or trying to insert myself into spaces that I know I'm deserving of, but just not reading the room and understanding. No, there are people in power who don't want you here or just because of how you look, they're not gonna give you that role. And so what I'm trying to get better at is having, what did I call it? A pull, don't push energy. And by that, I mean like be the magnet, be the sitting duck, really key into that whole thing of what is for you won't pass you by, and just put my head down and do my work. I am very clear about my purpose here on this earth. I'm clear about my talents. I'm clear about what I'm good at and what I'm not. And now that I know that, can't no man woman or child send me mad as an example just the other day some people called me to do some job they called me and then we had a little call and they were giving me the energy of yeah well you know we're speaking to lots of great black women so we'll circle back I was like lose my number lose my number I didn't call you and you're not about to make me feel with all the work I've done in and outside my industry that I need to jewel someone or I need to That's just Mm -hmm. not the vibe. For me, luxury and soft life means that I'm not fighting you for nothing. When you're ready to get in your right mind and know that there's only one person fit for the job, holla. Until then, we don't need to do this because... It gaslights me. It makes me feel like I'm not worthy. It makes me question the hard work that's already been done. I'm tired of the politics within the black British media industry because there's so much of it. I'm tired of the gatekeeping. I'm tired of the gatekeeping specifically by black British men in the industry. Don't get me started on that. Because if I went there, if I opened my throat chakra, (laughs) (laughs) if I really let it flow...
1: (laughs) I feel like it just does need to be like a, just a space <laughs> and a moment. We just need to hold space for I'm that tired. conversation. Where did you get your audacity from? Because if anyone could be described as audacious <laughs> of all, all of my interviewees, you would be like right up there in like the top five <laughs> of people that are definitely audacious, bold, courageous, just doing and saying what needs to be said. Audacity. So where does that come from?
0: It comes primarily from pain. I think it comes from understanding. After I lost my dad, I was just like, okay, that's really a taste of the deepest pain you're ever going to feel outside of losing your kids. You're not really going to match that energy. So you've been in the dark now, you've been in the trenches. Why would you stay here? Why would you risk staying here? Why would you grow this energy and this mood like a cancer? So we have to go in completely the opposite direction. I'm like, I'm literally this orb of light, collecting light from other people, and I'm here to have a good time. And I don't want to die with any shoulda, coulda, wouldas. So we really have to go com- in completely the opposite direction. And then what happens is that energy starts to pour out of me. And I think that's what people see as audaciousness. Or people who are used to black women being quiet, they see it as me being too flashy or being too loud. Or, you know, people will receive it how they receive. And it's not my job to deal with their perception. But that's where the audacity comes from. Because I'm like, my dad died at 42. I am 33. When they say life is short, it's not a joke. My daughter's nickname for me is wizard. She's like, mum, because I literally watch you just do anything. You're like, you've got this idea or this plan and then it just happens. So she's like, you're the wizard. And I'm like, that's the energy I want my children to have. So that when I'm not with them in the physical, they're like, "Mm -mm, mm -mm." we cannot get caught slipping because remember mum had that wizard energy. And that's a really hard energy to harness when we're literally living in a country that wants to take from us or suck from us or keep us in a box. I think when we decide to become mothers, that's an energy we have to protect because sometimes that's all we can leave them.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you for saying that. I think it is important. As black women in particular to really start to believe like actually there is more to there is more to this life that we can and mm-hmm. should have we are entitled yep. to it too and yeah there are going to be barriers there's definitely going to be limitations there's definitely going to be some demons in the way but we can have it on our own terms as well and i think you're a living breathing example of that the f- Very final question is, what is the best advice you've ever received and the worst advice you've ever received? Oh,
0: mate. I just think the worst advice would be tied to something like, oh, don't dream too big. Don't think too big. And when I was coming up, a lot of people around me would say stuff like, you think you're too nice. Just very small minded energy. And I think that can come across in lots of words or sentences. There isn't one specific for that. And that's always Mm -hmm. been the worst advice to just like dim my light or make myself small, especially in a community where we are encouraged to stay silent about all things, not just abuse, but, you know, play small, keep a secret, don't cause a fuss. Any advice around that is just the worst. And maybe the best advice for me um, was from my dad. My dad was very much like, don't be afraid to take scissors and, and cut ties with anyone with anyone you have to know that you have enough seeds to plant somewhere else and regenerate and begin again and he didn't just give me that advice and energy with people but even places when I was 18 I got the opportunity to go to India for six months and there was a lot of back and forth about me going and my dad was like you always take the flight You always get out of your comfort zone. You always go and see something new. And that advice and that encouragement has guided me very, very well and allowed me to continue to explore and flourish. Him encouraging me to go to different places allowed me to even know they exist. And so that gave me like a head start on a lot of my peers who even went to uni. And I didn't go to uni, but I was just like, there are different languages. There are different cultures there. And not only are they different, I can move there if I don't like something I can physically remove myself and plant myself in a space that I think is going to be better for my growth so that was the best advice
1: I love that that's such good advice thank you so much Candice honestly it's been a pleasure it was worth the wait Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we got to do this I really appreciate you thank you
0: no thank you for having me this was awesome thank you
1: Boy, we have been trying to get candice on the show for a minute and oh my gosh she was worth the wait this edit was tough i cannot lie we chatted for a full hour and i just know i could pull a part two out of this be sure to check out her books i'm not your baby mother sister sister and her debut ya fiction novel cut both ways if you liked her energy you can find candice on instagram at candice brathwaite That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this half an hour has made you think, reflect and contemplate on what your next step should be. I'd like to encourage you to think about one person who would benefit from the messages shared today. And I'd love for you to share this episode with them right now. If you'd like to keep up with the latest episode releases, do follow Wannabe on your favourite podcast player. And you can follow us on Instagram at contentisqueenhq. Until next time, bye! This is a Content is Queen production, hosted and produced by me, Imrielle Morgan. Editing and sound design by Joseph Perry.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.